0: It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. It's right there in front of you. This is where you want to be. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. It's right there in front of you. This is where you want to be. You guys heard that song before? Yeah. Song called The Greatest Show. It's from a movie that's called The Greatest Showman. My family really enjoyed that movie this summer. And what I really enjoyed about it, I have no idea how true it is, but there was a story of a man, P.T. Barnum, who spent the entire movie trying to figure out what it was that he wanted. And he looked thing after thing after thing, thinking that it was going to give him that thing that he wanted. And not until the very end of the movie, when he was sitting, In his final seat, did he finally understand the thing that he truly had wanted? And that, for us, is our question today. What do you want? It's a very simple question, but I think it can be a very penetrating question. I read a book recently called You Are What You Love by a guy named James K.A. Smith, And he said that this is the fundamental question. And so I'm going to read you a small excerpt from this book because he says it's so much better than I could ever dream of saying it. And he starts on page one with that question. He says, what do you want? That is the question. It is the first and last and most fundamental question of Christian discipleship. In the Gospel of John, it is the first question Jesus poses to those who would follow him. When two would-be disciples who are caught up in John the Baptist enthusiasm begin to follow Jesus, he wheels around on them and pointedly asks, what do you want? It's that question that is buried under almost every other question Jesus asks of each of us. Will you come and follow me is another version of what do you want? Jesus doesn't encounter Matthew and John or you and me and ask, what do you know? He doesn't even ask, what do you believe? He asks, what do you want? This is the most incisive, piercing question Jesus can ask of us precisely because we are what we want. Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. Thus, scripture counsels, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. So, discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and our longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, and to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. So, our question this morning is what do you want? And I've provided a small blank there right under your notes because I would really like you to answer that question right now. I want you to take a moment, and I promise I will not sing anymore while you do it. And I want you to write down that thing that you want more than you want anything else. Now, to this point, I only have heard of one response. It was from a very small girl, and she wrote it was a puppy. But I don't care what your answer is because I'm not going to know it. Just be honest. What write down what do you want? Because I'm not gonna know what you write down, I thought I would say, Hey, what what do I want? As we were thinking about the message this weekend, we we're wrestling with the, we're coming up on this available series, and we're talking about why, why are we not available sometimes? Like, why, why do we hold back? And for me, it comes down to this question of what do we want? And so as I was thinking about what I wanted, the verse I could not shake was John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I don't want any of that. That's not good. But Jesus follows that up and says, but I have come that you may have life. How awesome is it if he just said that? He is our life. We can't have him, but he said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. He said, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. We can have abundant life in Christ and we can have that now. And so I was like, how do I share what abundant life is? And my thoughts began with Romans 8, where it says that you're going to be transformed into the likeness of the sun. Abundant life means I'm going to look more like Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 says that I, in Christ, have every spiritual blessing, that I am rich in him, that he wants to lavishly pour out good gifts to his children, as it says in the book of James. I thought about Paul's words in Philippians 3 that I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And I want to know him in such a way that everything else in this world becomes rubbish, becomes trash. And then I settled on Galatians chapter 5. Because when I hear the word abundant, I think about thanksgiving for some reason. I think about having a table that just has too much goodness on it. And I think about the fruit of the Spirit. I want a life that is abundant in that fruit, that is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and money and things and... No. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That is what I want But if that is what I want, how come so many times when I have this opportunity to be a man of joy, my wife often says, why are you being a grouch? (laughs) When I have the opportunity to have this, this life that is marked with patience, do I respond so quickly in anger? How is it that when I can live a life that's marked by self-control, that is demonstrated by that fruit of the Spirit, that I so often give in to temptation and desire? I think the Scripture has a word for us today. And it's found in the book of Luke, chapter 18. And if you have a copy of God's Word, I ask you to turn there with me. Luke, chapter 18, verse 18, as we look at the rich young ruler. If you are here today and you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we have them by the the doors. Please feel free to get one. If you don't have one, you can keep it with you. We want to have God's word in your hand. And Luke chapter 18 begins with this rich young ruler, a man of which we know almost nothing about, who comes and asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And right off the bat, we think he's asking a great question. This is a question that we need to know the answer to. This is a question of a good desire that he has. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How would you like it if someone came up to you and asked this question? Can you tell me how to follow Jesus? Yes, I would like to do that. And so he asked Jesus how he might have eternal life. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He answers it very strangely. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. What is Jesus saying? Is he saying that he's not good? Is he saying that he's not God? No, he's not saying that at all. You See, Jesus knows what's really going on in this man's heart. He knows that this is coming up and this man is flattering him, trying to get a good answer. Hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, no, you need to deal with God. God is the one who gave these commandments that I'm about to talk to you about. You're going to need to work with him. And he tells him the commandments. He says, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. What is Jesus doing? Is he telling him that the way to have eternal life is to follow some rules? No. No. Jesus knows what the law is. The law is God's way of saying, this is how you follow me. This is how you love me with all that I am, of all that I am. And this is how you love other people. Because the only way to love God is to love others. And so God gave these rules. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit adultery. Do not, do not murder. Do not steal. And all this man heard was, check, 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 check. All these I have kept from my youth. I have done these things. I have passed your test. I have eternal life. This exchange just turned out well. And Jesus responded, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. What do you you want. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have had wealth to enter into the kingdom of God for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle rather than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What has happened with this man who came up and asked a question but turned away sad? What was true in this man's life was what, that he, what he thought he wanted and what he really wanted were two different things. He went up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's what he thought he wanted. It's what he thought he should want. It, it was the Sunday school answer that he knew how to give. But when Jesus said, come and follow me, he walked away sad because he didn't do it. Because he couldn't, because it wasn't what he really wanted. We understand this. As a child, I had a dream. And my dream as a child was to be the shortstop that took over for Cal Ripken Jr. on the Baltimore Orioles. And I stood in that batter's box and watched the ball curve in front of me, and I realized that dream was dead. And so I took up a much more realistic dream. I was going to make it to the NBA. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) Yes, I do. So I played basketball with my friends, and I was always dribbling a ball around. And then I got my parents to send me to a basketball camp. And they sent me to upstate New York to a, a a camp run run by a Division one college coach and it was from seven thirty in the morning to seven thirty in the evening i ate, slept, and drank basketball. It was all day. I gave it everything I had, and I got better. And at the end of the camp, they gave me this piece of paper. And it had fundamental drills on it. And they said, if you will go home, and you will do these drills, and you will give yourself to these drills, you will get better at basketball. You will make those teams. And I went home, Eighty-eight, ten, 10 Tweed, Berwick. I could tell you in my garage where I pinned that list of drills up, and for that first week, I went at it. Two-a-days. You know all that stuff that Steph Curry does? I was doing that too, just much slower. (laughs) I was doing the Sigma drill and the McHale drill. I was doing all these things for about a week. And on that second week, it was about every other day. And that third week, it was about once a week. And by that fourth week, I was off being a middle school kid. And then I made the middle school basketball team. I thought I was hot stuff rocking that B team. Came back time for the summer, and I went back to camp. I was back from my spiritual high. Wait, my basketball high. 7.30 a.m., 7.30 p.m., eight slink, eight, eight slept and drank basketball. I was giving it everything that I had, and I got better again, and I went back to my house, and I pinned the drills up, and I was doing my two-a-days again. This time it's all gonna be different until week two when it was the same exact thing. And week three came, and I was barely doing it. Week four, I was done. And I showed up for my high school basketball tryouts, and I didn't make the list. For years, I tried to tell myself all these lies, that it was the coach's fault, that they didn't see these things, and there was something that was working against me. But you want to know the truth, that in my maturity now, I can look back and say, I wasn't good enough. And the reason I wasn't good enough, because I didn't really want it. I wanted other things. The habits and the practices of my life told me what I really wanted. And so what you wrote on your sheet, what you really want, do your habits your habits and your practices, do they speak that to you? For this man, they didn't. And this was a hard teaching, and people began to, to flip out. One other thing before we move on about this passage. You might be here saying, looking at this and going, well, I've done this. I have, I have loved the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind. And I have loved my neighbor as myself. And that whole money thing, I don't have any. You tell me to sell it all, you can have my Xbox. That's what I got. Because it's not just talking about money. You see, what Jesus is asking for is that one thing that you are willing to put in front of him. And he wants to know, when he says, "Is there when there is one thing that you still lack, are you willing to sell that and put it behind you so that you may come and follow him? Sometimes that one thing is something that's sinful. It might be that we need to leave behind our sexual addiction or our substance abuse, our pursuit of power to follow God. In fact, there was a great church father by the name of Augustine who wrote in his book, Give me purity and give me chastity, but not yet. And we can look at those things, and we might be able to come to a place really quickly where we say, Yeah, you know what? I can... I know I need to set those things aside so that I can follow God. But there's a whole other segment of the good things that God gives us. Those talents, those treasures, those gifts and abilities that he has lavished upon us because he gives good gifts to his children. So many times they become our treasure. And so many times we put our ability to play ball or our ability to do well in school or our ability to... Uh, advance in our career and do many things and that becomes the thing we hold on to and God might be saying one thing you still lack will you leave that behind and follow me? It might even be your family that God might say I need you not to focus on them as your one and only because I am your one and only. This doesn't sit well with people. People began to murmur. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? Jesus, this is a hard teaching. Who can do this? And Jesus responds He says, With man, it is impossible. You hear this, you say, I can't do that. That is too hard. But he says, you don't have to do it in your strength. You're going to do it in mine. With me, everything is possible. If you're willing to leave it behind. And Peter spoke up. It's always Peter. And he says, see, we have left our homes and we followed you. Jesus, we have done this, haven't we? We left our father. We left our fishing boats. We have come and for three years we have walked with you. Haven't we done this? And Jesus responds so graciously. He said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more and in the age to come eternal life. I know that I am asking for a lot from you, but those who obey my call, those who are willing to leave it behind will have a greater reward in this life and the life that is to come. I don't know what that might look like for you. I I can tell you a story of what it has looked like for me in the past. As we were finishing seminary, my wife and I really had this deep desire that we would find a job around Austin, Texas. You see, we had grown up far away from our families, and we had wanted to have a different experience for us and for our children. We wanted to grow up around them so that they knew their grandparents, that they knew their cousins, even though they still don't have any cousins, but that's a whole other matter. Okay? But we wanted them to know and be this one big family, and nothing worked out in Austin. And nothing worked out in Dallas. Nothing worked out in San Antonio. And the placement office calls and says, Kansas. (laughs) I'm like, seriously? (laughs) And so my wife and I left our mother and our father. And we left our brother and our sister. And we came up here. And this has become home. And for 12 years, we have served the Lord here, leaving behind family. Do we still love them? Absolutely. Do we still see them? Of course. But God had a different plan for us. And I want to tell you, it was better on this side whether we had, than whether we would have stayed. So here's my question. What do you really want? Not what do you think you should want. Not what sounds really nice to put on your paper. What do you really want? In your heart of hearts, what is that thing that you are willing to sacrifice at all? And then my second question for you, whatever you wrote down, whatever it is, is it worth the cost? Is it worth the cost if you have to lay something down for the sake of gathering that one thing you want? So Jesus does something really cool here in verse 31. He, he gets the 12. He gets this little huddle, right? And he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He goes third person, right? Everything that the Son of Man has written, that's him. We're going to Jerusalem. It's all going to come true. Now think about what they had just heard. Everyone who had left mother and father and brother and sister, they will have a reward in this life. And he says, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. And everything that you heard, everything that you read, it's coming true. they got to be excited. He says, this is what the plan looks like. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Who's ready for that? That's no one's plan. Except for his. And then it gets better. He said, after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. This is why we're going to Jerusalem. So how did they respond? Like, what were they thinking? Well, Luke tells us, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what he said. But here's the fun part. We get it. We understood what he was saying. He was going to Jerusalem, and he knew what awaited him. He wasn't shocked or surprised by what he found there. He wasn't surprised when he got arrested, when he was tried and convicted, when he was whipped, when he was nailed to a cross. He knew it was coming, and yet he still went. And he rose from the dead, and he broke the bonds of sin and death so that my punishment has been already been paid, so that my sin can be forgiven when I believe in him. And so what do I want? I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ because he counted the cost and still wanted me. He knew what was coming and still he loved his father and wanted to obey his father so much to fulfill his father's will. And the will of the father was that he loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son that he may die so that we may live. I want to follow that guy who counted the cost and still went to the cross because he wanted me and he wanted you is this going to be easy? Absolutely not. There was a man one time named Abram. We pick up his story in the book of Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram and says, Abram, I need you to leave everything that's comfortable. I need you to leave your your house and your extended family and your, your riches and everything that you have over here, your life as you know it, and I need you to go over there. And if you will go, I will give you the promised land. I will give you children as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And I will give you blessing forever. And Abram went. He went. He didn't know this God, but he went. And I love that I don't have to stand in front of you and pretend that he did it really well. He failed many times. He didn't hold on to the hand of God and trust Him when things got hard. But He kept getting back up. He kept learning His lesson. He kept walking with God. And then His wife and Him got scared. You see, they didn't have this baby that they needed. If they were going to have as many children on the, as the sand on the shore, and through that child all the nations would be blessed, they needed a son. And so they went and made it work their own way. And they had a child from another woman, Ishmael. And God said, That's not the child of the promise. We're doing this my way. When he was a hundred years old, they had a visitor. And these visitors said, You will have a son by this time next year. And his wife, Sarah, laughed. Why do you laugh? Because he's a hundred years old. This doesn't happen. But that time next year, they had Isaac. They had what they wanted. God had given it to them. Can you imagine how much they loved that child? Can you imagine how much bubble wrap they kept him in? parenting is a weighty task but the future of the world depended on this child and they kept him and they grew him he went from an infant to a toddler and a toddler to one of those 10 year olds it's really mouthy i have one that's why i can say it he grew up and he was becoming an adolescent he was becoming a man God showed up to Abraham and said, Abraham, I need you to take that son. I need you to take that one and only son, the apple of your eye, the child of the promise, and I need you to take him to a place that I will show you and you need to sacrifice him. And the distance between that verse and the verse where Abraham went is zero. I have no idea what Abraham was thinking. I have no idea the thoughts that were going through his mind. I know that Hebrews tells me that Abraham believed that God could even raise him from the dead. Can you imagine that conversation? Where are we going, Dad? We're going to do a sacrifice. Hey, um, Dad, you got the fire, you, you got the rope, you got the wood, you got the knife. Um, hey. Where's the ram? God will provide, son. Can you imagine what was going through Abraham's head as he laid his son on the altar? as he raised the knife up, as he's ready to sacrifice him to his God, God said, stop. Stop. Now I know that you will not hold anything back from me. Now I know that what you really want is not a child. What you want is me. And you know what he got? He got his child back. And that child grew up to become Isaac of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And many, many, many years down the line, Jacob would have a son whose name was Jesus. And this same Jesus, when it was time for him to crawl on the altar, God did not hold back his one and only son, No, he counted the cost and his son died so that we may live. And so I want to follow him. I want to follow Christ because he counted the cost of what it took to love me and he did it anyway. And he loves me still. And I want you to follow Christ because he counted the cost Of what it would take to love you. And he did it anyway. Because he wanted you. Will this be easy? No. Will we fail in this? Of course. But these times where we get together. Allow us to reorient ourselves. Toward the one that we want. And it might cost you something. It might make you leave behind a promotion. It might make you leave behind some of your stuff. It might make you move across the city, this country, or this world. It might cost you something that's very near and dear to you, but is it worth it? Yes. Because the one who is asking for it is the one who wants to give you something better in this life and in the life that is to come. What do you want? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm overwhelmed thinking about your son, that he was willing to know what was coming and yet he still did it. Father, how often I want comfort, how often I want ease. And he knew the pain that was coming and he gave up his life so that we might find ours. Father, that love is extraordinary. And Father, out of a deep sense of the love that you have for us, may we love you. Not because we can repay you, not because we owe you, Father, but because we love you. May you have all of us, all the time,